climate change is just such a huge thing. Like we can't ignore it. We can't just carry on with our lives and pretend it's not happening. If you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s and you want to live a long life and you want to have children and you want those children to grow up and be able to have their own careers and their own families, you we it's all it's up to all of us. Like there's there's honestly no future the way that we're going at the moment. Um, yeah, we'll probably live out a full life if we're lucky, but will our children? No, it's, it's, yeah, it's like a dire situation at the moment. And the number one thing you can do is eliminate animal products from your diet. If you can't eliminate them, lessen what you're eating at the moment. Hi there, veggie mates. You just heard from this week's incredible guest, Andrea Brown. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is the Veg Talk Podcast. Welcome to the show if it is your first time tuning in today and welcome back to all the regulars out there. I'm stoked to have you all with me for an epic conversation. Before we get started, a quick update on what's going on behind the scenes here at VegTalk HQ. For those of you who are new, my partner Anna and I traveled around North America in a van between November 2018 and October 2019. Uh, We stopped at a Heathperv places along the way to record conversations with leaders in the plant-based and vegan community. We were also lucky enough to head back to my home in Australia and also a short trip to Indonesia and the Philippines where we continued the podcast. After arriving back in the States, we continued the van travel for a little while and have since found ourselves living in Portland, Oregon, Uh, not in a van, but in a regulation one-bedroom apartment. Things are kind of back to normal, which is both awesome and sad at the same time. If you'd like to support Anna and I, the best way to do that is by leaving a review and rating through the Apple Podcast application on iPhone. It only takes a moment and it's free. So if you're feeling generous today, please take the time now to send us five stars and let us know what you think of the show. So this week, it's been hectic. Anna went down on her bike with a broken arm uh, we also had to get our van airman. Uh, he needed to switch official homes. So we needed to get him new plates for Oregon, uh, which required a trip to the DMV, which is always a very interesting experience. If you live in America, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I do apologize for the 24-hour delay on this week's episode. I'll tell you, though, it's worth the wait. This week, we're chatting with Andrea Brown, better known for her IG account, Eat With Andy, all one word, all lowercase. Andrea is an Aussie girl, originally from Western Australia, and now lives in New York City. So it's great to hear an Aussie accent in the Big Apple. We covered some great topics such as climate change, Andy's personal story and switch to veganism, uh, also the contraceptive pill and Andy's own personal experience with that. We recorded this episode in her beautiful apartment in Williamsburg, and on this particular morning, someone in the floor above decided it was the perfect time for some repairs. You'll hear a hammer in the background, intermittently. Neither of us were stoked about this, but you can't let the perfect get in the way of the good, or in this case, the great. It's an awesome chat, if I do say so myself. So I hope you enjoy it, veggie mates. As always, I'll catch you on the other side to wrap things up. Alrighty, we're rolling. Hey. Aussie's in New York. I know. 
Gotta love it. We're everywhere. <laughs> we actually are. Yeah, we are. It's true. It's it's not a myth. We're we're everywhere you go. Yep. Aussies yep. are the most well travelled. Definitely. Any nationality. Why do you think that is? Ah. Oh, I think I actually think it's because we're so far away. We want to go and experience the rest of the world and like get out and explore more and to us anywhere is far to go to so you can kind of go further and further and it's you've got to go far to go anywhere anyway so maybe that plays into it a bit and maybe just like a bit of a I feel like Aussies have an adventurous spirit definitely no I <laughs> I kind of explain the, explain it the same way yeah you know we're on this <laughs> this big island a long way from everywhere mm. and uh, we want to go and you know experience the rest of the world see what else is out there I think as well like Perhaps it's not as much these days, but I feel like as a kid growing up in in the nineties, you have this whole you had I had a whole perception of what the rest of the world, especially America, was like from watching um video cassettes and seeing the like clips of Disneyland and stuff beforehand. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like there was like 101 Dalmatians and like movies like that and you p- put it in, you watched the bit about Disney World or whatever. I had this whole perception of what America was like and I was like, I have to go. I want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> I think Anna also has an obsession with Disneyland <laughs> and it hasn't been fulfilled so we need to get her there oh. for sure. You have to go. I went a few years ago and it was great. It's so much fun. Cool. Yeah. Definitely on the list. I'll make that happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much I'll enjoy it myself, but... The rides are pretty good. Yeah. Plus, I've recently heard, at least in Disney World, they're bringing out a whole heap of new vegan options at restaurants, which is great. I did see that in the news. Mm. It's pretty cool. It's cool to see, yeah, big kind of organizations... Oh, uh, ...jumping on board. I was really disappointed. I went to some of the big theme parks in the Gold Coast of Australia a few years ago with my little sister and we're both vegan and it was which there was nothing for us to eat all day which was like pretty disappointing so it's great to see that their theme parks are like coming around to that now definitely definitely well let's um let's jump into it I'd um I'd love to hear I suppose you know being an Aussie a little bit about your background where you grew up you know just what your kind of typical life was like okay um so I grew up in a small town south of Perth in Western Australia so I was actually um for most of my early childhood we lived on like a hobby farm um and I would take the bus for around an hour or so to get into school every day we lived there until I was 11 and then we moved into the center of or more close to the center of the town um but it was a pretty small town on the beach um it was great it was a great place to grow up but like definitely and it's grown a lot um in the recent years and it's a lot bigger now than it was when I was growing up there but um Western Australia in general is just super isolated from the rest of the world and it was uh it's a very like chilled out slow uh pace of life I would say to other places that I've since like moved to and lived in um but it was great and then I moved to Perth when I was 18 to go to university and lived there for eight years and then moved to Sydney and then four months ago moved here to New York 
epic. That's cool. WA is definitely, yeah, it's it's quite an amazing state of Australia. Yeah, it's I mean it's huge, it's so big and so vast, and yet so, um, like not very populated at all exactly. because the majority of the state is desert, and then everyone just lives along the coastline. But the only real city in Western Australia is Perth, mm-hmm. um, and then there's lots of towns and I guess cities but small cities um scattered across the coastline but it's very different to the east coast of australia um there's a lot of like unexplored spots in wa i'd say and and even though as a kid or as someone growing up there there was a lot of places that we'd go to and think they were so crowded with tourists i've since realized that they are not crowded (laughs) at all (laughs) no i I mean, the only tourist spot that's really coming to mind is like Rottnest Island. Yeah, and Margaret River. Margaret River. The Margaret River region. But um, yeah, we used to holiday down in like the Dunsborough Margaret River region pretty much every Christmas period. And my parents were um, quite strict on us going straight as, as soon as school finished in December and going until Christmas and then going home after that and not staying for the Christmas to New Year period where it was like way too crowded. But I mean, it's it's nothing compared to some other touristy spots um, in other parts of Australia. It's still very under crowded. Although as of like a week ago or something, they just announced that they're doing direct flights to Margaret River region from melbourne so i think that's probably going to bring quite a lot more people to the region that never went before definitely i think as well with i suppose housing prices on the east coast it's inevitable that more people are going to look to yeah the west absolutely. coast and western australia is really like interesting because it went through this housing price peak um during the boom period um because of the a lot of western australia is mines and that mining is a huge huge industry or really like the only big industry in western australia so um a few years ago probably 10 years ago now maybe even more i feel like as i get older i'm like 10 years ago maybe it was like more like 15 i don't know but during that time housing prices went up just so much more and it was it became really expensive and, and not only housing but price of beer and coffee and food and everything went up crazy amounts and then the boom kind of ended and everything kind of slowly trickled back down now if you think about the prices of housing and the cost of living in Perth compared to Sydney or Melbourne it's so much cheaper I bet so much cheaper definitely um yeah that's really cool I WA is an amazing state like we see van lifers yeah. going through WA and just finding these incredible beaches yeah. that have literally no one on them. Yeah. White sand, you know, sparkling blue ocean, and you're just yeah. like, wow, <laughs> i got to yeah. get there. And I, I haven't seen much of WA, so it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely a place I'd like to explore more of. Yeah, I think it definitely, just because of the vastness of it, it takes, you do, the best way to do it is like van or camping or just going a bit slower in general because if you've got a week, you could 
definitely see Perth and Rottnest Island or you could definitely see Perth and then run down to Margaret River quickly. But if you want to see a lot of those um, unexplored beaches in Esperance, in Albany, and then if you go north up near Broome and stuff, it takes day- days literally to drive to those places. Um, so it's a good place to explore a bit slowly and just like enjoy the more slower pace of life. I did a road trip to like as an adult my first sort of like adult without my family road trip of WA two and a half years ago and we started in Perth and we did Rottnest for a few about a week and then we slowly made our way down and all the way to Esperance which is sort of on the way to South Australia and then back again we did that over a three-week period which honestly you could take way longer than that. That even wasn't enough time to like see all of the amazing beaches and there's so much nice hiking and nature and yeah, it's great. It's a good place to be outdoors, especially in summer. Definitely. Esperance looks Esperance is unreal. There's like, honestly, I haven't been to the Maldives, but I think it's like that. I mean, it's just, it's like the whitest sand you'll ever see and the bluest water except there's like hardly anyone around. There's like no one there, which is the best. Yeah, we, ha- we had some experiences like that. You can even find it on the East Coast. Oh, really? If you go to, yeah, to beaches that are, you know, close to small towns. Yeah. You can get that same experience. Yeah. Not as like white sand, crystal clear water, but, but amazing emptiness. beaches and no people. I mean, I was honestly, I was pleasantly surprised moving to Sydney. I had this, I think I've been to Sydney a bunch of times before, but I think I had this impression of how overcrowded all the beaches are. And oftentimes they are, but there's a lot of spots that aren't as crowded as well. Um, Especially if you go to like Royal National Park and places like that. And I'm sure it's same. I haven't really explored Victoria very much, but I'm sure it's the same there as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So with Australia, Mm. I think... Coming here, and I don't know if you've experienced it, but like the perception of a lot of uh, Americans is that we're super healthy, fit, beach going, (laughs) surfing humans. Yeah. And, you know, when I tell them that we're actually right up there with America in terms of like the obesity rates, um, you know, heart health per capita, they're really surprised. And my friend that I ran the marathon with yesterday... I, I told him about that and he was like, wow, I just didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, so what's your experience growing up with food um, and, you know, what was the typical kind of plate? Yeah, I'd say, you know, it's interesting you say that. And just on that, I wanted, I also wanted to add, I was looking up yesterday um, my partner was talking with uh, like quite a few of his friends back home about global warming. I mean, it's just like always on, I feel like finally everyone is talking about it now, even people who aren't vegan and not um, really, weren't really previously as interested in it, um, which is great. Um, But one of the things that they were sort of talking about, which I think is a real misconception from Australians as well, is that Australia doesn't really contribute to global warming. And it's as a country we have a it's a smaller population but per capita at the as of 2018 i looked it up per capita we're the second highest contributor to global warming at the moment even higher than the u.s which just comes in at number three yeah which just like blew blew my mind um and i think that yeah the the way that australians in general eat and consume and 
is just equally, if not more, unsustainable than every other Western country in the world. Yeah, I think the 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 middle class to higher class quality of life in Australia yeah. is quite high. Yeah. So what we see when that happens anywhere in the world, which is kind of crazy, but anywhere in the world where the yeah. middle class starts to develop into a more high class society and where the lower class starts to come into a more middle class society, yeah. animal products tend to be consumed at a higher rate. Yeah. And we definitely associate, you know, a good meal being like a fine dining experience with yeah, animal with products. Meat. Yeah. And I think as well, just, I think as another thing that is very normal in Australia that might not be as normal in other developed nations is, you know, having multiple cars per family and, and things like that, which um, until I think if you grow up, you grow up, you grow up in that uh, in a family like that I mean I grew up in a family where we had mum had a car dad had a car we had two boats as well we had a caravan Um, it was great as as a family growing up pretty middle class in a small beach town where we were doing lots of outdoor activities and dad drove to work because we didn't have public transport and then mum drove us around a hundred percent I don't disagree with their decision to have that but when you go to a big city like New York or or even living in Sydney I didn't have a car and it was my first time in my whole life experiencing not owning a car and realizing the things that you can live without and the the things that you can the ways that you can modify your life um, because it's just life quality of life creep I think you can you can let like a little bit more creep in and creep in and creep in when you're especially when you're used to consuming i think that's one of the biggest things that i've learned moving here as well is you can live with so much less stuff than you think you can but unless you're forced to get rid of it all and unless you're forced to do that you probably won't ever do it um so yeah but in going back to your your question about what was on the plate i think my mum and dad definitely had um they were pretty healthy. Um, they're not vegan. Um, and we didn't, I didn't grow up in a vegan household or vegetarian household. But I think in terms of um, what was classified as a pretty healthy diet in, say, the 90s, they were pretty much living it. Um, I don't remember us having very much like soft drink or processed foods. Another thing, when we were young, my mum and dad didn't have a lot of money. Um, and then as we got older, they... We, we had more money and we moved into a nicer house and, and um, had more. But when I was young, we didn't have a lot of money. A lot of, we went on little cheap camping trips and things like that. So as a result of that, my mom definitely was like extremely sustainable in the way that she consumed things. Like we didn't have disposable nappies or anything like that. She would wash and reuse nappies and make everything from home, which... I think was really good because it's taught me a lot of really good lessons about living that way um, and I think that was great. So, so yeah, we grew up living and eating pretty much only home-cooked meals. Um, we did have a lot of meat, not uh, huge amounts, but I would say like every day um, for sure and like every night at dinner um, and probably – every lunch as well not breakfast usually um but yeah I think we grew up living with lots of fruit and vegetables um we had especially at the uh when I was younger and we lived 
on our hobby farm we grew a lot where my mum had a huge veggie garden and a huge fruit orchard so we um we grew a lot of fruit and vegetables at home so we definitely grew up in a more probably more healthy and balanced diet than a lot of Australian kids do but um you know as a kid going to school and seeing what everyone else has in their lunch boxes it it wasn't until I think I was 16 or 17 until I really actually appreciated what the lessons that my mom had instilled in us and like the food that she'd created for us when I was a 16 year old teenager and finally concerned about my (laughs) health and what went into my body and my weight and all those kind of things um but as a little kid you're you you want to eat roll-ups like everyone else and Dunkaroos (laughs) oh my god similar I mean I definitely didn't have you know a farm with vegetables and an orchard yeah but same kind of experience yeah going to school and wanting to have the chips and the Dunkaroos and the crap, the yeah. roll-ups, all of that kind of stuff. But yeah. mum was always very, you know, mindful of not giving us those types of yeah. food-like products, if you will. Yeah. Um, so from, from what you've just explained, what is your message to, you know, Australians yeah. and people in other parts of the world that are concerned about climate change? Yeah. And they're starting to learn more about it. Yeah. But they're still consuming meat every day. I think what what the one thing that I've been telling people probably for at least the last year or, or two um, is the message isn't really about going like it's not about going vegan. If you don't think you can, then I completely understand that. If you don't think that going vegan is something that you're possibly able to do because you really love cheese but you don't really care about meat, then eliminate meat and eat cheese. Or if you really love having fish once a week, then have fish once a week and go vegan on the other days. Or if you possibly can't think of eliminating anything from your diet, but you could do one day fully without it, then start there. The biggest thing that I found going vegan was that it was, I thought that there was a lot of things that I was going to miss um, and lots of things that I was going to have to go without. And it's just not true. You're, you just adapt. It's exactly the same as what I was saying before about lifestyle creep around the more you have, the more you have. It's the same with eating. Once you like actually going vegan it opened up my world to a whole huge number of different foods that I'd never even tried before and different ways of eating and more love of cooking and things like that um and I know lots of people don't like cooking and that's totally doable on a vegan diet too plus now in 2019 um there's really no I would say excuses in terms of what's available I mean we've got the impossible burger the beyond burger and so many more better options that were that were that are available now than were like four or five years ago so you know if you're worried about missing anything I don't think there's there's a single thing that could be um that that could go without and it's just it's such a huge climate change is just such a huge thing like we can't ignore it we can't just carry on with our lives and pretend it's not happening if you're in your 20s 30s or 40s and you want to live a long life and you want to have children and you want those children to grow up and be able to have their own careers and their own families 
you we it's all it's up to all of us like there's there's honestly no future the way that we're going at the moment um yeah we'll probably live out a full life if we're lucky but will our children no it's it's yeah it's like dire situation at the moment and the number one thing you can do is eliminate animal products from your diet if you can't eliminate them lessen what you're eating at the moment i yeah i i love the message you know not forcing people to Mm. say like oh you've got to stop like you must stop today yeah what i see a lot of that does frustrate me but you know you can get in the other person's shoes and you can understand is our government isn't doing this Mm. our government isn't doing that and having been home in Australia mm. at election time, and I mean, I've been through the election here as well, where yeah. we've got a man that wants to bring back coal as like the number one, you know, form of energy. Um, so it can be frustrating. Yeah. And I can understand people's, you know, they want to voice their opinion on that. And it's yeah. totally okay. And it's understandable to, to want to speak up on these topics. Back in Australia, it seemed like, Either way, honestly, it wasn't going to be a positive. People were saying, oh, Labor Party is, you know, for this, for that. And, Mm. you know, the other guy, Scott Morrison, who's now the Prime Minister, he's the guy that brought in a lump of coal to Parliament. Like, how could we possibly want to vote him in? Yeah. He appealed to the older generation with with money. Yeah. He appealed to them saying they're going to steal your, your retirement earnings, basically. Yeah what an easy way to get them on board to vote for to yeah, vote for him yeah. um, but then i looked at the other guy and apparently he'd signed off on this new coal mine yeah anyway i mean that's that's the thing especially in australia in australian politics is like everyone's kind of in the middle no one's really there's no real right wing there's no real left wing maybe that's maybe people would agree uh, disagree with that yep. but in my opinion no matter who got into government um, out of those two parties when it was going to be one of those two parties. Um, neither of them are going to do much. And the Australian government still really subsidises farmers with um, animal farmers, with, you know, cows on their farms and things like that. The Australian government subsidises that. And the, and the Australian government subsidises, uh, like, exports, live exports and things like that. It's it's The government's never going to be able to, or at the moment, the government is not going to help in the ways that we really need it to and i don't think that i honestly don't think that that's true of any country because at the end of the day politicians are trying to appeal to the masses to get votes so that they can get into parliament and if they can put through a couple of good um measures in the right direction that's all we can really expect of them you can't really expect the government to create radical change i think in terms of what we can do what we know we can do is create less demand for the meat and dairy industries by eating and consuming less of it and if there's less demand what i do know is that as an economy then everything else will will respond to that in accordance exactly exactly so that's exactly where i was going with that like it's on it's on us yeah we understand the frustration behind the the inaction yeah when it's so clear and we have the mechanisms in place now 
Yeah. So it is frustrating. I follow a guy on Twitter and he's all about sharing. I'll have to get the name and I'll put it in the intro outro of the podcast. He puts little videos on Twitter of cases around the world where countries or cities or towns are using the technology in our favor for climate change now and it's working and his whole thing is we have it now let's put it into place 100 percent. but we can't expect it from those governments uh no. you know they're the, for the they're in it for the reasons you explained yeah and it's on us so yeah. if you are someone that you know can't stand what the government of your country are doing for climate change yeah it's time to look at ourselves and go okay they're not going to change i need to look at my own daily practices and see what I can do. Yeah. Uh, and it just so happens that a plant-based diet is actually the biggest there's thing so we can much, do. There's so much that we can do individually. There's, there is, there is so much. And I mean, honestly, if you, if you're going vegan or if you're cutting out the meat and dairy in your life, you've done, you've done so much for the environment. You pat yourself on the back. 100%. I mean, Yes, I'm vegan. Yeah. But today I went to a coffee shop without my keep cup, which I left in Los Angeles. So yeah. I need to get another one. Yeah. But I bought this thing. Yeah. And I consciously knew that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, that's a bad choice by me. Yeah. So no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And I mean, you, there's, there is a, there, there are so many things you can do consuming less plastic and using reusable straws and things like that but at the end of the day um if you're remembering your metal straw every day and you're still consuming meat and dairy products you're not doing very much for the turtles and the fish because you're eating fish or the atmosphere or the atmosphere yeah a hundred percent so i mean think the thing is that no one's perfect i got really um sort of anxious recently or in a, f- a few months ago about plastic use and about trying to av- trying to be as conscious as possible across every single aspect of my life but the thing is the world that we live in and the cities that we live in and the way that the world has been set up to operate in 2019 makes it really difficult um, to be able to be perfect across everything. So I think the thing is just to do the best that you can do. If that's going vegan, that's great. If that's going vegan and trying to do zero waste, that's great. If that's not going vegan but going vegetarian, that's great. If it's doing meat-free a couple of days a week, that's great. Like you do what's best, what you can do, but being conscious is the most important thing. There's always a level up. 100%. Isn't there? We can always better ourselves. And yeah. that doesn't matter if it's for the climate, just in general. Yeah. We can always be better versions of ourselves. Yeah. So it's, um, and it's, you know, it's super important for, like, there's so much you can unpack around this topic. Like the, yeah. the, the kids, right? Wanting children. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's something that as humans, we, we want to do. Yeah. And never in history have we actually questioned whether it's right whether or not. it's the right decision or mm-hmm. not it's kind of mind-blowing and i did a an interview recently uh with a lady michelle kane from world of vegan she's pregnant she's having a baby soon and she never wanted children interesting prior to that and since becoming pregnant she's thought long and hard about this 
and she's like you know what if i'm not gonna have a child then i'm seeing it as an opportunity missed to bring a child into the world who is going to be a conscious consumer and voice yeah for exactly what's going on and that for me, it almost sealed the deal for me on that debate for mm-hmm. mis- for myself. Because mm-hmm. I was like, that makes so much sense. Because if we decide to stop as conscious people, yeah. well, guess what? The people that aren't conscious to the problems are going to continue to have children, which is, again, not a problem. Yeah. But if they're not, you know, privy to the information we are, then their children will likely not be as well. And then we're kind of, we are missing out on an opportunity. Yeah, I completely agree. So why, you know, having spoken about, you know, the link between uh, plant-based, our choices, all of that stuff and your, and your upbringing uh, being a pretty typical, you know, Aussie upbringing in terms of what's on the plate. Yeah. What made you switch? Um, I'd say it was primarily health-based and then shortly after followed or in conjunction with the ethical side of things and then the climate aspect came into it later but um definitely it was a result of having just poor health I think as a child I had really poor health um not in in anything serious but I just constantly got sick I think my mom said when I was in my early primary school years, I had a day off every Friday because I was just always sick with a cold or with a throat infection or an ear infection or something. And I went to so many specialists and um, and nothing ever really... I had a lot of antibiotics. I had so many antibiotics as a kid. Um, and nothing really ever helped long term it was um something that doctors always told me I was going to grow out of um which is a really interesting concept and I'm not a doctor so I have no idea if that has any truth to it but I heard so many doctors say you'll grow out of it you'll grow out of it lots of kids get throat infections and sinus infections and it's something you grow out of but for me it just didn't really happen I got my tonsils taken out and um shortly after I got my tonsils taken out when I was 21 or 22 and shortly after that operation about a month later I went to a cafe for breakfast with a friend and I ordered eggs and I got salmonella poisoning and I was so sick from the salmonella poisoning I ended up being hospitalized um it was probably one of the sickest I've ever been in terms of just I was unable to consume any food or any liquids for weeks um and when I like finally started to recover and my grandma was, I was on my grandma's couch and she's feeding me little bits of Vegemite on toast. I realized that the biggest thing at that point that was just not agreeing with me that kept coming up was dairy. My grandma was like, we'll give you some yogurt. Yogurt's good for you. And it wasn't good for me. Um, and I realized then, so about that was when I was about 22, I think I like, realized that dairy was not going to work for me anymore so I cut it out and then over the like coming year afterwards I just experienced like constant issues with my digestion and my immune system as it went on I 
might be messing up the timelines here, but I got glandular fever um, and I was really sick for like three months and had to um, drop a unit at my at university at the time and just rest so much, which was really, really um, like hard to do, like hard on your mental health as well. And, um, and then I went... This may have been after I went vegan, but I went to Bali and got measles, even though I was immunized against it. So my immune system was just really rock bottom. I was just kind of getting all of these um, and I was still getting ear infections and throat infections and things, even though I'd had my tonsils taken out and just picking up colds and flus um, and nothing really seemed to work. from a standard perspective and I had really bad digestive problems so I had booked I booked a, uh, an appointment with a gastroenterologist and that I had to book that like three months in advance or something so that was really that was quite far away at the time when I'd booked it and between the time when I booked it and when it happened I had started doing a lot of reading into veganism and I was watching Freely the Banana Girl (laughs) on YouTube and I first started watching her I think as a bit of a uh, as a bit of a joke because she was doing like these huge banana challenges and I'd sort of watch her and be like oh my gosh that's so insane um (laughs) and then I sort of started getting more intrigued by it and I created a separate Instagram account which is now Eat With Andy and I started following all these people who were vegan at the time just to see and everyone was talking about constantly talking about how good they felt and how great the digestion was and how much energy they had um and it just seemed like such an extreme thing for me to think about doing but I'd already cut dairy out and I was just so unwell um constantly that I decided to give it a go for 30 days I was like I'm gonna just try and do this for a month and I'll just live off rice and potatoes and banana and just really really plain foods like nothing to nothing to because I at that point I'd gone through low FODMAP cutting out onion and garlic and other things and nothing had really worked I'd also been tested my mum's a celiac so I'd been tested for gluten intol for celiac um which is gluten intolerance and or um a disease related to that and I'd been tested for that and that had come back negative um and I was going to see a chiropractor who I'd been to see for years who was also like quite good in natural medicine and he was sort of like oh I, I can't really work out what it is that you're intolerant to Dairy's definitely there but I'm not really sure so I sort of figured that going to a really plain diet for 30 days could only hopefully help And so I decided to do that um, and that was Easter of that year because I remember I was going away with my boyfriend at the time for to see his family and I was like I'm gonna do this and he's like could you wait until after Easter and I was like I don't think I can and he's like well what are we gonna what is what are you gonna eat and I was like I I don't know I'll just eat some potatoes some salad I think I just have to do this now I think I was on a bit of a like 
I've got to do it now, which is definitely, um, I'd say part of my personality trait is when I've got in my head that I've got to do something. I'm just like, right, I've got to do it right now before I kind of lose momentum on it. And on the car ride to his family, where his family lived, which was like a five hour drive, I read the book, I bought the book Skinny Bitch and read that on the way. And I read the whole book cover to cover on the drive there. And when I got there, I was just I mean, that book, if you're a woman, I think is uh, maybe not, it's a, it was a little outdated when I read it and that was like four or five years ago. So potentially it could be a bit outdated now, but it was honestly life-changing in the way that, in the mentality around it, in the way that they talk about not just, um, not just veganism and meat and dairy, but around a lot of the other processed foods that we consume and just the way of thinking around food and everything it was it was honestly it was life-changing for me I got out of the car at the other end and I just thought I just don't want to put any crap in my body oh my gosh this is just wow and so I started doing it I was eating a very I ate a very plain diet for 30 days I started feeling loads better I started around maybe the middle of that month, I started looking more into veganism and watched Earthlings. And then I, uh, no, maybe that was at the end of the month. I watched some of the other documentaries around um, health-wise stuff and I was pretty um, on board with it from a health perspective. And then but at, around the end of the month, I watched Earthlings and at that point there was just no going back, I think if you're a compassionate person and you can watch that uh, documentary, there's just, yeah, at that point I just was, it's really there. I think for a lot of people, it's really the ethical component that strikes you in the heart and makes you realize that there's no, after you know certain things, you just can't ignore it anymore. So once I watched Earthlings, I was just, I just remember being like absolutely shocked and like so upset about the way that animals were being treated. So that was it basically. Then I was vegan um, and there was like no turning back. So my 30 days just never ended. But I went to see the gastroenterologist um, and I remember arriving there on the day and I said to him at that morning I had – I'd eaten some watermelon for breakfast and I remember arriving to him and I was really bloated and I arrived and I was like, look, I've gone vegan and nothing you say is going to change my mind just so we get that out of the way. And he said, okay, no, that's fine. I'm supportive of that diet. Uh, if it works for you, you know, I'm not going to, I just, I'm a bit concerned about you getting all your nutrients. And I was like, that's fine. I'm just, I just wanted to tell you, so you don't advise me to do anything differently. And he said, no, that's okay. Um, I said, but I am really bloated. And he said, so we talked for a couple of minutes about my symptoms and stuff. And I said, I am feeling a lot better since I've been vegan. I am feeling a lot better. I haven't got sick in nearly three months, which is unheard of for me. So I think my immune system's doing better. I'm eating, I'm just trying to eat really plain foods. And in general, I'm feeling a lot better, but I am really bloated today. And all I've eaten is watermelon. I've done so much reading about watermelon and I know that you're supposed to eat it on an empty stomach. So I don't understand why this is happening to me. 
And he said, okay, I don't think you'd need to see me. I'm not going to charge you for today's session. I just want you to go see the dietitian who's down the hall and you can talk to her. So he sent me down to the dietitian and she, um, I said the same thing to her and she said, okay, so talk me through um, what you're eating during the day and at what times of the day you really notice yourself getting bloated or feeling really unwell or your digestion's just wrong. Um, And so I did and we established that the big problem for me at that point was fructose malabsorption so fructose was a real problem for me um, and as soon as I cut any high fructose fruits out of my diet the bloating just disappeared Um, and she sort of said to me you could do that for you can do this for about a year and then try and introduce stuff and then if it doesn't work out for you then do it for another year Um, so I did I did it for a year and then I did and then I tried and then it didn't work for me so I tried another six months and then another six months I think I did two and a half years of eating only low fructose fruits no high fructose fruits and it was just one of the best things I've ever done because for me, with that causing so much um, havoc uh, inside and with everything that like with my bloating and everything, it was just the best thing to have to not have digestive issues anymore. And when I could introduce those high fructose fruits again, um, it was just so much sweeter to be able to like eat that again and um, eat mango and eat cherries at Christmas and things like that um, was just really rewarding. But, you know, it's so like when you're really sick or really struggling with um, with and with food issues um, you don't miss stuff if you're feeling so much better, which I was. So at that point I was vegan and not eating any high fructose fruits. And later I cut garlic out. Um, I don't, I still don't have garlic. I don't really mind it if we're out at a restaurant, but I don't cook with it at home and neither does my partner Eric, because we both find that we're just not very tolerant of garlic. Um, and again, it's, it's just so it's fine if you're if you feel so much better I think a lot of the times I don't think I knew how sick I was feeling in my digestion before I went vegan because you I was just used to it for my whole life um and I think when I was like one of the big things that you'll know that you notice when you first go vegan is how much more regular you are and that is it's just such a good feeling to feel to have your stomach feel like flat and to have your and I don't mean that in a skinny way I mean that just in a like there's just not lots of meat rotting in your stomach anymore and just to feel regular and feel your energy levels are better so I just honestly think it was for me it was like quite a um once I would once I did it it was like a no-brainer from then on it's an incredible story I mean I can't imagine the I suppose if I was in that situation, I, I'd be afraid. Like the the fact that you, you, you your immune system was shot, basically. Yeah. Like you're catching things and then your ability to recover is compromised. Yeah. So it's, it's a double negative. Yeah. You're catching things, ability to recover is compromised. You're in hospital. Yeah. With a, quite a serious condition. Yeah. Um, especially from a food that's considered very normal. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that being really uh, scary. And then 
not knowing what's next with like the digestive issues. It's like, it just seems like everything was compounding on top of each other. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those things that I see a bit on Instagram where I've seen a bit from on social media from other people as well. It's one of those things when you've got, when you're kind of losing hope at, at anything getting better, you'll, when you're, what's that saying? When you've got nothing to lose, you'll try anything. So I think that's what actually brought me to veganism. Um, but now I feel like, Oh, I, I just feel like it's it. Honestly, it's great for everyone. I would it. I would recommend um, going vegan to the healthy, the person who thinks they're the healthiest on a diet with meat and dairy in it. Um, especially dairy, I think, is extremely, extremely unhealthy um, for humans. But you know, but meat as well. Um, and that's why one of the things that's the in the book skinny bitch that first kind of got in my brain about thinking about the fact that um a like a a dead piece of meat is then sitting dead in your stomach for a couple of days while you digest it I just once I thought about it like that I couldn't I couldn't think about going back to consuming anything that was like dead and and how can that make you feel good so um yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I honestly think that when you've got nothing to lose, you'll try anything. And that's how I felt at that, that time. Um, because you kind of do, when you've got, when you're having constant health issues and you're feeling really unwell and you're going to doctors or you're on the waiting list to see a specialist, again, it's kind of like what we were saying before about, you know, waiting for the government to do something, waiting for other people to do something for you sometimes is sometimes is not the best way to, to go about things. And I, I'm not saying that I don't believe in um, modern medicine because uh, the medical community is amazing and I take antibiotics when I need them and things like that. But I do think that if you've if there's things that you can do yourself, when there's things you can do yourself, like why not? And I'm so glad that I did because I, I don't think having a colonoscopy would have told me anything um that I couldn't have figured out myself through changing my diet. Well, I'm glad you landed on veganism and a plant-based diet because, yeah. you know, as you said, when you're kind of desperate and you, you just want to try <laughs> something, you know, a lot of people land on other diets. So, yeah. um, and they work for a time and then they don't work, you know. Yeah. It's, um, it can be a really challenging time for a, a person uh, to yeah, go through Yeah, and I think as, as a young woman there's always as a young person probably in general but I'd say still probably more even so as a young woman there's just so many diets being thrown at you constantly um and when I went vegan there was a very strong high carb low fat community and that's the diet that I followed for the first two years that I was vegan and I don't regret it because it brought me to veganism and it made a really simple easy way for me to eat when I was first figuring out how to be vegan but I would never recommend it to anybody because it limits your mindset around food Um, it was a very limiting diet and a very unhealthy it turned into a very unhealthy way to think about food so honestly eating if you're eating a vegan diet that's whole foods based and has a good range of proteins and fats and carbs then I don't think you can go wrong just have some b12 and then you'll be fine yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's really not limiting when when you begin it's Mm. um it's quite the opposite. You you alluded to actually 
diversifying uh, the yeah. foods that you were eating. So yeah. like it, it completely changes your mindset because, you know, when in the beginning from the outside looking in, you're like, how could they do that? It's like, yeah. it must be so limiting. What do you eat? Like what your boyfriend at the time said, Yeah. what are you going to eat? Yeah. And I love that story actually where you were pretty hell bent on doing this. Yeah. And then you get in the car, you read the book and you're like, on a mission you're like like, nah nothing's stopping me now yeah I Um, think it's um yeah I think it you think you can possibly think it's limiting when you're so used to a certain way but a little bit of research especially um especially in this year um with the variety of resources available on google and everywhere else it's just the complete opposite it's liberating um and yeah, I think that you've you do end up similar to I think people who have a standard meat and veg diet who have their staples that they like cooking. You probably do end up with your staples after a while. But I tried so many different recipes and all different things, and it was so fun and interesting to try all different things. And now I have probably like ten recipes that I pretty much cook on on a rotation um, because that's you know what you like when you, when you find what you like and you land on your feet. Um, but I love still love trying new things as well. It's like the best thing about being vegan is that there are so many new ways of cooking and new products coming out on the market all the time. Definitely. It's an exciting time. Yeah. For sure. For sure. It's good to see things going in the right direction as well. Yeah. Uh, the relationship with your doctor, how, yeah. did, how did that evolve or how did that change after that, uh, that initial kind of this is what I'm doing meeting. Well, I didn't actually go back to that gastroenterologist again. So I didn't ever have to talk to him again. But I um, I did talk to my GP about it and she wasn't overly supportive. Um, I also went off the contraceptive pill around that time as well. So she was not very supportive of that either, um, which I, I can't – I feel like I can't um, – discredit her medical knowledge it's just that doctors don't really get taught much about nutrition in their course and they also don't really get taught um, much about like alternative ways of um, I I think alternative ways of contraception and things like that that could be just as effective Uh, I think they're very much and even worse so in the states very much um, sort of controlled by I'd say much more in the US, um, like the farm pharmaceutical companies and things like that, and just about treating rather than preventing and things like that. So um, I've never been to, I don't think I've ever been to a vegan doctor, but at the end of the day, I'm being always been confident in my diet. I've never been, I've never questioned it. And my blood test results and my health and the, the amount of times that I got sick just was kind of proof to the pudding of that. And it was, just, it was exactly the same with my parents. When I first went vegan, I remember my mom saying, okay, we'll just, as long as this is just a phase. Um, and I said, I don't think, it, I don't know if it'll be a phase, mom. And she said, well, I, okay, well, just, why don't you just not try it? Don't just say you're going to do it forever. Just, you know, do it for, you know, short amount of time and then, and then we'll check in. But to be honest, once she saw how much healthier I was, um, and how mm, I developed this passion for cooking and for food, um, 
I don't think, and my sister, who'd been vegetarian for a long time, many, many years, went vegan shortly after I did. Um, I think my mum was quite concerned at that time because two of her daughters had gone vegan a very short space of time. And she was already, had been already worried about my other sister for many years with her vegetarian diet being unhealthy and unsustainable. But we actually both completely thrived. I think the other thing about my sister being vegetarian was she ended up just eating her diet basically consisted of um, eggs and cheese. And neither of those things are very healthy for you in large quantities. So um, once she switched to vegan and she couldn't eat eggs or cheese anymore, she started eating a lot more whole foods and a lot better protein sources and a lot more variety. And she became so much healthier as well. In- introducing fiber probably helps as well. If <laughs> Absolutely. You're, if you're on a, an egg and cheese kind of diet. Yeah, for exactly. sure. Man, I feel like... As we continue to talk, <laughs> there's just so much to unpack. Like yeah. I think uh, naturally the way it's evolved, a huge number of the plant-based vegan population are women. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, although the contraceptive pill doesn't directly affect my body. Yeah. I, uh, oh, sorry. Do you want to just flick oh. that up? Sorry. No, you're good. Okay. Um, do you want to quickly just chat about yeah. for me the the negative effects that you were seeing from taking that? Because I know Anna yeah. has gone on it and off it. Yeah. Um, and she feels much better off it. Yeah. Because um, I bet there's a ton of people listening that could be taking experiencing yeah. similar things. Yeah. And I, I want to say that... Hang on two seconds. <laughs> mm. I want to say that I... I I would never recommend anyone on what to do in their personal situation. Um, But for me, I went on the contraceptive pill when I was on my 18th birthday. I think I went to the doctor and went on it. It was something that I talked about with my mom beforehand. Um, I, I did have a boyfriend at the time, but we weren't sexually active or anything. It was just something that I think we talked about and my friends and their parents had talked about and it was just something that seemed very normal oh you'll you'll when you're 18 we'll take you to the doctor and you'll go on this and then that's that um and it was very kind of matter of fact so I went on the pill when I was 18 and I was on it for about eight years and I never went off it um that whole time I just um, continue taking it and I never tried different types either I just take took the type that I was originally given um, pretty diligently and I just had that until um, until shortly after I or sometime after I went vegan actually it wasn't it wasn't too soon after it was maybe six months or so um, I was just Again, I think just being with the community that I was following on Instagram at the time who were more health conscious, I started reading people's experiences of going off it or to people talking about going off it. And it was never something that had even crossed my mind before. But I was uh, one of the biggest things that I was experiencing was a lot of mental health issues. Um, I was experiencing depression and anxiety and I thought that it was related to uni and related to stress from studying and I went through a breakup so I thought it was related to that. But I just, I was just, um, there's no other way to say it except I was just moody. I was just feeling down a lot and when I thought about uh, 
who I was as an adult. It just seemed to be part of who I was. Um, and I just kind of accepted that and just thought maybe I'm just not a very happy person. Um, and it wasn't until I was dating this guy and I had for the first time when I went and took the sugar pills, um, I didn't get any bleeding and that's something that I then I was surprised and thought that I was pregnant and went and took a pregnancy test and I wasn't pregnant and I then was wondering what was going on so I started looking up and found out that when you're on the pill you actually don't get a period it's just a withdrawal bleed that happens um, every month when you take the sugar pills and once I sort of started looking into that I thought oh how do I even know if I even still get a period? How do I even know if I'm still fertile if I haven't had a period in eight years? I started getting really worried about it. Um, and I got this book, which was incredible. Um, it's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And I would recommend it to every woman um, to read. It was honestly absolutely incredible um I've still got it Uh, I haven't read it cover to cover because it's really thick but it's so good to flick open and just answer questions about your body it was the first time that I really sat down and thought at the age of 25 um what happens in my body how does the cycle work like what and what is the pill doing um and then I pretty much made the decision that I was going to go off it and I just did that without any advice from anyone um and it wasn't until I went into see my doctor sometime later and told her that she was like oh I don't I don't think that's a good idea you know do you know if you've if you go off it and then you go on it you can get other problems later and stuff and I just said I, I okay I just don't, I don't think I'll go back on it then and she was like oh, no no uh, and she got really worried about it but um, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff that happened when I went off it. Um, the I had major breakouts for like six months. I had acne. Um, that's obviously settled now. Um, but I had really bad acne, which was like I guess my hormones trying to rebalance. Um, I had nearly four months, I think four months where I didn't get a period and that stressed me. And then I got a period again and then, um, and then I didn't again for like eight months. So that really surprised me because I think, um, especially as someone who'd never questioned it before, I just thought I'll stay on the the pill until I want to get pregnant and then I'll go off and then I'll get pregnant. And I think it's, it oftentimes it just doesn't work like that. There was no way I would have been, if I'd wanted to, there's no way I would have been able to get pregnant in the first year after I went off the pill because I didn't even get a period. Um, and then my period came back, my acne kind of settled, but the biggest thing that I noticed for, for, far more than anything else was my mood I just felt so much better it was like I really I finally I'd been under this like weighted um, feeling since I'd been 18 and I'd been depressed and stuff as soon as I went off it probably within a couple of weeks I no longer felt depressed or anxious or moody anymore at all I just it just kind of disappeared and I've and I haven't had any issues with my mental health since and I'm not saying that I can blame that on the pill or anything like that. All I'm saying is my experience was that the pill was or the hormonal effects on my body really made me feel a lot more depressed than I think I could have felt without it. And I felt I've just, yeah, it's just, I probably just never want to go back to it because of that. 
Thanks for sharing that. That's all right. Um, it's yeah, it's a personal kind of, it's a personal thing, and it's it can sometimes be you know hard to share. But I think ultimately, you're not an outlier. No. Here, like yeah. so, Anna experienced the exact same thing with moodiness, and you know I might add something here, and you can pull me up if I'm if I'm not correct, but you know, we're all humans, male or female, we experience mood and and differing mood. Uh, We experience depression, we experience anxiety in certain levels. Yeah. But what she was experiencing was heightened mood. Yeah. Yeah, mainly mainly lower lows. Yeah. I would say. And it was really affecting her. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And she definitely since going off it's been a few years now and i actually i i told her maybe we should consider this because what's more important than your health and well-being yeah you know it's it's um it's horrible to see you know someone you love go through that yeah so i think it's just something that's just become similar to antibiotics it's something that's just become so normal but it's not really that the technology is not really that old and we just don't know um, the effects over a lifetime of taking the contraceptive pill and the effects over a lifetime of taking antibiotics and things like that. We just don't know. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying we just have to think of when we just have to be mindful and conscious, similar to the way that you think about what you put in your body and the way that you think about what you consume. It's it's like that. It's it, Medicine should be the same. It should be a conscious thing that you question and think about. Um and there are there's other ways that you can of contraception that don't have um, that don't have a hormonal component of it. You can get a um, IUD that's copper. Um, you can follow the fertility awareness method. There are you can use condoms. There's there are lots of other ways that you can um, still be safe without having to have any kind of hormonal impact on your body and just sort of the what I've discovered since going off it about my body and getting in touch with my cycle and getting in touch with the different things that happened throughout that period um, has been so enlightening like just understanding the different things that happen in the female body at different points in the cycle as well which is something that um is all masked when you're taking a hormonal contraceptive. You don't get all of the different symptoms and indicators at different points in your cycle because you're not having your cycle. Um, And that's been just so interesting. Like it's something that I love about, um, I don't love having a period, but I love about having the cycle is I can tell what point of the cycle I'm in based on how my body feels and my energy levels and all different things. I'm, I, yeah, I'm so glad you shared everything there. It's mm. super important uh, for for women to know about and for their partners to know about. Yeah. Um, condoms, arguably one of the older methods of yeah. contraception. Uh, for men, there's even better brands coming out. You know, uh, as as we get you know go through time, there's uh, more sustainable. Yeah, we um, use a vegan brand. I can't remember what it is, but yeah. it's great. It's honestly, it's it's amazing. Whole Foods stock them yeah. now. You yeah. know, you can get them with your groceries, guys. It's, yeah. um, I think there's one called Love. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to go find the brand that we um mm. that we've been using here in the states. It's a, it's a US one, but it's um it'll, 
it's great. There's also Hero condoms in Australia. Mm-hmm. They're vegan. But yeah, no, it's really easy to um, get vegan sustainable condoms. Um, and it's something that's like definitely essential, especially if you're not using um, hormonal contraception and you have a partner and or someone that you want to have sex with and you're around the time of ovulating. It's really the best way to, to prevent pregnancy. Definitely. Tying this all up, I think we've probably got, <laughs> you know... Long enough. Eight minutes. What time do you want to... It's 12.44. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to tie in... I'm reading a book at the moment called oh, yeah? Lost Connections. Okay. And it's uh, it's about the antidepressant pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, yeah, And I'm only 29 pages in, but my mind is already yeah. blown. My, I've never taken antidepressants myself, but... You know, it's a topic that I'm interested in and a lot of people experience um, depression and and are on these drugs. And what I've learned, and we can tie it in with the contraceptive kind of uh, industry as well. Yeah. A lot of these companies do their own (laughs) scientific testing Mm -hmm. and then release what they want. Yeah. So they hide 40%, maybe more, maybe less of... The, the number they quoted in the book was 40% yeah. of the entire work that they conduct. Yeah. So what you kind of alluded to before of just questioning whatever is going to go in your body is super important. Yeah. Uh, but then mental health in general. Um, I know mental health is quite close to home for you mm-hmm. and the effects of it. Yeah. Um, so what what are what is the most important thing as a society whether you're experiencing adverse mental health or not what is the most important thing i can do for a stranger a loved one you know what what can we do in this uh space oh i don't know how to i don't know if i even could try and answer that but i think for me the the way that i choose to try and live my life is just knowing that you of everyone's life even the people closest to you um if this is their whole experience um if their whole experience is like from one point to another point what you know is only a portion of that um and so what you what you know of another person's experience is so small um that you just can't really assume anything so I just try not to assume stuff. And I think it's something that's really um, helpful when you're living in a city that has a lot of homelessness and things like that is just not to assume anything about the other person's life unless you see something specifically that that then, you know, brings you to a certain assumption about them if you see them acting in a certain way or or stealing from someone or something. But I think aside from that... Um, you just can't make any assumptions about what another person's going through. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest things that I've learned since living with my partner as well is that there's times and we spend a fair chunk of time together. We do, we don't work together, but we are in this one bedroom apartment together pretty much all the rest of the time or out and about together pretty much the rest of the time. So we spend a lot of time together and I even can still sometimes be surprised and he can still sometimes be surprised when one day one of us turns to the other one and says, I'm just feeling really stressed or I'm just, I just can't, I'm not feeling good today. Um, 
and that's someone that you spend so much time with and you think you would know exactly how they're feeling um and you don't and you just can't I think you just can't ever assume that you do um especially with social media and being such a highlight reel of everyone's life I think you just can't assume that you know what's really going on I think that's the best way to approach things because if you approach everything with a I'm not going to assume anything about your life it also uh stops you from feeling uh offended or like a anything's personal to you because at the end of the day everyone spends um 90 of their time or 80 percent of their time thinking about themselves um so i think when you when someone hasn't reached out to you or hasn't been in touch for a little while i think um not assuming anything takes away any kind of personal uh offense that you would take to the fact that they haven't reached out to you and you instead can be like i actually can't assume that i know what's happened in their life in the last month that we haven't talked for i'm not going to try and assume anything maybe they've ha- maybe they could have reached out maybe they couldn't have maybe they're having a great time maybe they're really busy maybe they're not maybe they're going through a rough time right now um i'm going to reach out to them instead so i think um especially moving overseas and so far away from like our uh support network and our family and friends um when I first got here I was talking a lot with a lot of my friends back home and as the it's now been four months as the time's gone on it's not a super sustainable thing to do from either and with the time difference um being so hard even with my parents I talked to them a lot when I first got here and and now I probably check in with them once a week or once every two weeks um and I think, again, it's just that thing of not assuming that if someone, if someone's not talked to you or if someone's posting something great, not assuming anything about their life until you've heard them say it themselves. Well, I think that's a fantastic, you know, way to approach life in general, like human, yeah. human connection yeah. in, in general. I think that's a, a, yeah, a really nice way to put it. So today, guys... You know, we've spoken about, I think, some really important topics. There's some topics that we didn't get to and yeah. I still want to, you know, just quickly mention them. So, Andrea has a an Instagram account that is, uh, you know, growing really well. It's got a lot of really fantastic information, uh, kind of follows your life, food. It's Eat With Andy. Yep. On Instagram. Is there any other places we can find you? Because ultimately, I want people to find you and continue to learn from you. No, that's the best place, Instagram. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, today was awesome. Yeah, today's been really fun. I really enjoyed that conversation. Looking forward to, you know, to getting it out there. And yeah, hopefully if you're in Portland. Oh yeah, we'll definitely be over there. Find yourself on the West Coast. Come say hi to Anna and I. Yep, definitely. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Andy. Hey, Veggie fam. If you're still with us, Thank you. I do appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed today's show and zoned in on our Australian accents rather than the intermittent hammer sound that you heard in the background. I do apologize for that. Despite this, I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. I learned a lot and thank Andy for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. It's not easy to be so open with someone that you've just met and many of our guests do the same as Andy did today and share their story really openly and honestly so i'm truly grateful and honored to be a person who they trust with their own life story and hope that some of you are able to take away helpful pieces of information and integrate them into your own life uh, to make a positive impact 
If you'd like to show Andy some love, head over to Instagram, search for Eat With Andy, all one word, all lowercase, and follow along. If there's anything we spoke about today that you'd like to continue to chat about, please send us a message on Instagram at VegTalk, that's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K, and I'd be happy to discuss this with you. We love hearing from everyone who messages us on the platform, uh, so thank you for supporting us and engaging with us. We really do love it. Next week, you'll be hearing our final interview from New York City with my mate Andy De La Rosa. You can find him on Instagram at noah.vision, that's N-O-A dot vision, V-I-S-I-O-N. And you might also know him from the YouTube video, I Am Not Vegan. If you haven't checked him out, I highly recommend uh, going to Instagram or YouTube. Uh, I'm giving you guys a heads up now so you are up to speed next week when we have our conversation. Until then, keep it plant-based. I look forward to hanging with you all again. So I'll see you all next week.